0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Jessica Luther, freelance journalist and author in Austin, Texas. And on today's show, I'm joined by Brenda Elsie, an associate professor of history at Hofstra on Long Island, Shreen Ahmed, a writer, public speaker, and sports activist in Toronto. And we are thrilled once more to be joined by Shakia Taylor, a writer in Chicago, Illinois, and a lover of baseball, who listeners will recognize from multiple interviews and co-hosting gigs here on Burn It All Down. Welcome back, Shakia. Morning. Thanks for having me. <laughs> First things first, as always, thank you to our patrons whose support of this podcast through our ongoing Patreon campaign make Burn It All Down possible. We are forever and always grateful. If you would like to become a patron, it's easy. Go to patreon.com burnitalldown burn it all down. For as little as $2 per month, you can access exclusives like extra Patreon-only segments or our monthly newsletter. We are recording on Sunday, May 12th, which for many listeners is Mother's Day. By the time you hear this episode, you will have already received in your feeds a Mother's Day hot take from Shreen and Amira, but we want to kick off this episode wishing a happy Mother's Day to any of our listeners who mother and holding space for anyone for whom this holiday is difficult. On today's show, we're going to talk about the Men's Champions League and Europa League, as well as the Women's Champions League. Then Amira sits down with Hilary Malatino, an assistant professor of women's, gender, and sexuality studies and philosophy and research associate at the Rock Ethics Center at Penn State to talk about the rock climbing organization they co-organize, Homo Homoclimtastic, who hosts the largest climbing convention of LGBTQIA climbers every year. Then finally, when we have Shakia here, we have to exploit her expertise, so we're going to talk about baseball, Tim Anderson, the White House, and wherever else the conversation takes us. And of course, we'll cap off today's show by burning things that deserve to be burned, doing shout-outs to women who deserve shout-outs, and telling you what is good in our world. Okay, but before we dive in, as we've talked about recently, the NBA playoffs are in full swing, and Commissioner Adam Silver, he recently talked publicly about refereeing. But not actually about how controversial it's been in the postseason, which is, I feel like, even an understatement, the word controversial. No, instead, he stated that he has a goal to make half the refs in the league women and also to have more women coaches in the league, too. And I think that I speak for all of us when I say, great idea, Adam. Great idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you all think about this plan, And Shereen, I know that you have thoughts.
2: I was of thoughts I mean we, we love this idea I mean like it's not like he's saying anything novel or interesting or creative I mean we've been saying this for everyone I mean we I mean like people in the margins I mean women non, non-binary folks so I tweeted about this and was just like Silver really needs to put his money where his mouth is creating more job opportunities more opportunities for coaching qualifications, jobs for women, conferences, policies that pay for mat leave. Like it's easy to stand there and be like, I'm such an ally. Let's have more women. No, you do not get cookies. Why do these people think they get cookies for this? This is what just kills me. I don't know. No, do better. Do more. (laughs) Do something.
1: God.
3: Shakia, you have any thoughts on this? I actually was going to kind of go the same direction. It's not enough. I think it's kind of a distraction, really. Yes, do it. All good. If you're going to have women refs anywhere, the NBA is probably the place because it's a league full of guys who support women basketball players. Hello, women basketball players. What about them? (laughs) I mean, they're right there. They're right there. They play your sport. Put more money and time into the WNBA. I mean, they're right there.
1: Yeah. Where could you get these (laughs) refs and coaches from? Where could they come from? It's hard. It's hard. Brenda? It's such a puzzle. (laughs) It's a great
4: (laughs) puzzle. I just feel like it felt like a one-off. It felt, you know, it's sort of disrespectful uh, on the one hand. I mean, it's exciting. It's cool because like, so desperate for any sort of mention of real structural change, but it just felt like... I'm going to do this thing, aren't I? Awesome. Like So, yeah, I'm just in agreement and I just feel like it's a little bit disrespectful, maybe more than a little bit, actually, to the WNBA because it's sort of implying that he's not aware that there's a lot of women referees.
1: And coaches, right? Like coaches who are working. We already know where they all are. Yeah. You know, you can't
2: can't be friends with Becky Hammond and then call it a day. That's not enough. Like, I don't even know if he's friends with Becky Hammond, but my point is, is it just like,
1: it's just not. He wishes
2: he was. Probably. I wish I was. So that's for sure. sure, But yeah.
3: I just feel like leave it to the commissioner of a league to ignore the obvious. Like, yeah, let's, let's make it hard. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that we're is going to so be true. accepting resumes
4: In- from yeah. all over, yeah. God knows where.
3: I mean, ignore <laughs> where the are office? we ever going to find the people to fill these roles? <laughs> the ones that we're currently ignoring. You mean? <laughs> so obnoxious.
1: Oh, yep, yeah, it is. So we obviously here at Burn it All Down are not going to hand out the cookies this week. <laughs> no cookies. Oh. All no right, cookie. let's get into this. Okay, Shereen, it was a wild week. I think it's fair to say, and men's soccer in Europe and this upcoming Saturday is a big deal in women's soccer in Europe. Can you kick off this segment by giving us some background about the Champions League and tell us what the hell happened this week?
2: Thanks, Jess. Okay, so European football. Wow. I love it. I always want to decolonize my brain, but this is literally my like dream to talk about. So what Jessica is referring to is the Champions League, the wild semifinals that were the devastation that occurred the sadness on the pitch, the falling to your knees in despair in two minutes left of extra time, like just that glory and pain and emotion is because of the Champions League. So I will tell you what the Champions League is. For those that don't know, the Champions League is actually one of the my opinion the greatest annual tournament it is run by uefa which is the european federation of football soccer so what it does is it basically comprises i believe 32 teams qualify for this like in all most countries and what ends up happening is the top teams end up qualifying for this and it's played in tournament style from september until may now oh, the wow. final yeah, the oh, final will be played. That. Yeah, it's 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 pretty incredible, and what it is, this champs League is also a refresher because of, instead of the independent national leagues that we see, for example, La Liga in Spain, Serie A in uh, Italy, in Serie One in in France, you have the Premier League in England, you have the Bundesliga in Germany, the Turkish League, you, like this is a league that brings all those teams together. So teams that wouldn't otherwise play each other, play each other in the Champions League. So it's really fun. You get to see matchups that you wouldn't otherwise see, different players playing each other, different styles of play. It's it's really, in, it's my favorite. And like, I just love it. Now, so what what has ended up happening is for those that are <laughs> bet on football, what a mm-hmm. year this has been for you, because I don't think anyone would have imagined the final that we are going to see. Now, the final that we are going to see will be Liverpool, a Premier League team playing Tottenham, who is also a Premier League team. Now, these two were not necessarily pegged to go forward, particularly because Mohamed Salah of Liverpool now has a concussion and Harry Kane of Tottenham, he's also the captain of the English men's team, he's out with injury. So Liverpool was in the final last year of the Champions League and you know they lost to Real Madrid and Brendan and I had a lot of feelings about that and Sergio Ramos.
1: Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah,
2: we talked about it last year. So what is happening moving forward is Liverpool beat out Barcelona and they beat out Barcelona on a 4-3 aggregate, which means the first match of the semifinals, because there's always two legs, like meaning two matches. And Barcelona beat them 3-0. And everyone's like, oh, this is expected. Messi is the greatest player in the world. All true. Yes. However, what had to happen in the second game was Liverpool would have had to win 4 nothing. Sorry, three nothing and concede no goals. And guess what happened? They did it. So Twitter was exploding. The Liverpoolian fans were in tears in pubs, in mosques, in community centers, and everywhere singing, praying, whatever. I think this is my own little opinion. Ramadan has something to do with it because you got a whole lot of Muslims praying for this team. So (laughs) this is my opinion. But they did it. And it was one of the most glorious, particularly because Barcelona was winning. Like, by a lot. Now the second semi-final was Ajax, which is a team in the Netherlands, one of the greatest teams in the sport, in my opinion. Against Tottenham, you're like Tottenham, the Spurs, and they're also called the Spurs, not to be confused with San Antonio. So they <laughs> ended up winning without some of their main players, and Ajax was also winning three nothing in the second leg, and Tottenham came back to beat them. Sorry, two two nothing, and it was just you now the IX team is very young their captain's 19 years old they're mostly a dutch team yeah he's, he's the youngest captain to have ever captained in the champs league semifinal it's pretty incredible so minds were blown the football goddesses are having a lot of fun with everybody i know brenda Messi, crying in the in the locker room afterwards like i don't want to trigger you but i think it's just it's just been really fabulous for those of us that you know are just watching so it's it's been it's been pretty pretty incredible. Now just to quickly go after that. I um, mean the Europa League versus <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> I love you. The Europa League is a, another league. It's in my opinion secondary to the champs. League. It's also run by UEFA. Now it's it's the same system in which to people to qualify, but it's, it's also a recognized tournament. So it's not the champs league. You're like, why do they have another tournament? Like, what's the point? I don't know. Cause UEFA doesn't make any sense anyway. So people will watch it probably. People will watch it. And why, you know, invest into women's soccer when you can just have another tournament. So Europa League, actually the finals this year will be, to be between Chelsea a Premier League team, and Arsenal, also a Chelsea, a Premier League team. So what that means is in the two biggest tournaments in Europe, you've got all four British teams, English teams. And so all the English are going, yay, we're the best. No, that's not what it means. It just means that this year the two finals are with English teams. Now, more importantly than all of this, the Women's Champs League final, because they was there is an iteration of the Women's Champs League final with maybe one twentieth of percent of the marketing and the money and the investment. No, maybe one sixtieth I would say. They have a final this week in Budapest And it will be between Olympique Lyonnais, which we all know is like an incredible team, probably the best club team, in my opinion, in the world. Don't at me. I know you will. And the football club of Barcelona. So Barcelona's women's side. So guess what? Barcelona did make a Champs League final. It just wasn't a men's. So rearing
1: up, it's going to be amazing. Hold on to your seats. Brenda, anyone who listens to this podcast knows about your deep love. Of Lionel Messi who lost he was with Barcelona so we know that you're you've had a week what would you like to talk about around the Champions League this week are you holding up Bren I, I don't I know <laughs> <laughs>
4: not at all <laughs> like, I can't I don't even know how to fathom how Ernesto Valverde the coach of Barcelona has a job this is the second flame out if- in a row in the exact same way
1: Is he expected to keep it?
4: No, but it's not clear because they're still up for the Spanish title. So if he can do that, some people believe that he might be able to hold on to his job, but I don't care. He should be fired every single day of the week and twice on Sunday. He is horrible at his job. And I mean, the fact that Philippe Coutinho, I I mean, like even started – I'm just flabbergasted. And then the pacing of Barcelona in that game was horrible. And like literally he had no game plan for the fact that there was like six Liverpool defenders on Messi at all time. Like he was just like, oh, well, let's just hope that like the greatest ever can like figure his way out of this. Like literally it was like he didn't work the week before the final. Like did he just take a vacation? I mean, there was like no game plan whatsoever. I mean, I just, you know... Ugh! What I am so angry! I'm so mad! I can't believe it! But it, but I'm I'm mad because the same thing happened last year against Roma. And you know, and it's not as good of a team. It just isn't. So it's bad for football. It is. It's and it's always bad for football when Messi doesn't get to play anywhere. And for him to be like crying and thinking of retiring makes me murderous about Valverde. Like <laughs> I just, it's, I, I'm just like, you're ruining soccer. You're ruining the entire sport right now. It's your fault. Everything.
2: And I, and, I can't believe that I'm gonna say this. But don't. I mean, okay. <laughs> no, no, do no, do. No. No, um, just, <laughs> what it does is it gives other fans who seems aren't as strong this thing called hope. I And know. I'm like, no, why? <laughs> why do you have hope? Like, when why? I want no. it crushed. I don't like,
1: care.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just, and don't get me wrong. I love Mr. Muhammad Salah and then Sadio Mane. Like, I'm all about that. And But it's just, it's wild. And it's almost like, it, it's just unfathomable. I, I don't. Like a sad messy, mostly because it makes Brenda sad, <laughs> no. but also because I really respect Tirshtegen and I love Umtiti. Like, I love these these players. I, I always have and I always will, but it's almost like the Champs League has the opportunity to shake everything up, and that's exactly what it did.
4: Ugh. Anyway, I'm, that's not the take I'm here for. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about Barca women for one second, because, yes, you know, please. Yeah. Please. The one thing is if no one follows Barca women, The Twitter account, it's a really great account to follow and they have a podcast, so it's at Barca Women. And if you want to keep up with anything that happens, they have a really good podcast, actually. It's in English, right? I believe. I've heard it in Spanish, but I believe it's in English as well. And their Twitter and, is in
2: English too. Well, it's multilingual, yeah, but mostly English.
4: Exactly. Yeah. And it's amazing. And I would just like to say that I, I like Barcelona for that final, but like look what happens when I like Barcelona for any Champions League final. So probably it will just transfer <laughs> oh, over <no>. my failed <laughs> fandom. <laughs> but they do have this really, really, really an impressive um, midfielder, in my opinion, Alexia Putin. Yes, I don't know if anyone has paid attention to her but she's been having this great season and she's really young and exciting and fast and strong and if you have a chance to check it out I think I think she won't disappoint.
2: The Champs League women's final will be available. It's on Facebook and you can find it on a shady live stream via Reddit. But Brenda, I really like Hera Hamarwi who is a French national who plays for Barcelona women. Like I think she's phenomenal but let's also remember that who Lyon is like Olympic Lyonnais is like, is like basically Heda Hegerberg. It is, oh my gosh, it is just some of the most incredible players. It's got Eugene Le Sommet, and it's got like Wendy Renard, Sarah Bouhadi It's basically the crux of the French national women's team. And they're just incredible. So, you know, and they have, we'll see what I happens.
1: mean, they, something like they won the last three This is their fourth final in a row. They've won the title overall five times. Like, if we're going to talk momentum, they clearly have that in their favor. And they have
4: Amadine Henry still? Yes, yes, they do. And they have Kadisha
1: Buchanan, who's
2: amazing Canadian. Incredible. Like, they're, in my opinion, like, the strongest. Meg Rapino played there. Like, they are the strongest team, in my opinion, women's club in the world. Go ahead, Bren.
4: Well, if it goes like the other Champs League finals, having the most talented team won't win.
2: (laughs) This is true. This is true. (laughs) It's just, it's been, as you said, it's been incredibly (laughs) exciting to to see and watch i love and also leading up to the women's world cup the champs league i hope gets a little more hype like i mean it's hard for me to watch this via facebook and there'd be like i don't know 800 people in the stands this is a fucking champs league final for women like where are y'all like just i just i mean at the same time that i appreciate the football it gets really frustrating for me because like you see the the disparity in terms of what you know the women have and what they play with and they play their hearts
1: out and so and we'll Lord. see. And that's a good point, Shireen, that like, and in this year in particular, when the Women's World Cup is literally around the corner, that if any year you're going to push it, this would be the one, right? And then I just, uh, before we wrap up, so when it's Liverpool Liverpool versus Tottenham, who's going to win that? Shireen? My money, my money's,
2: it's not really my money on anywhere because betting is haram and it's not acceptable and it's Ramadan. So technically I'm not going to bet. But if I was going to bet, I would say Liverpool. Yeah. Okay. Um, And Fermini and Salah will probably be back by then. So we'll see. But I mean, Tottenham is lovely. You know, a wing and a prayer can only get you so far, but we'll see.
1: Next, Amira interviews Hillary Malatino about the rock climbing organization they co-organize, Homo Climtastic, which hosts the largest climbing convention of LGBTQIA climbers every year.
5: I am joined here today by my brilliant and amazing colleague at Penn State, Hillary Malatino. And I decided to talk to Hill today because I learned of this amazing organization that Hill is a part of and now co-organizes called Homo Climtastic. Now, if you're like me and, and wondering what is this amazing organization with a funky name, and you have to learn more than this is the interview for you. So, Hill, welcome to Burn It All Down.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me.
5: So, what is Homo Climtastic?
0: Homoclimtastic is the world's largest LGBTQIA etc. climbing organization, and we've been around for twelve years. And the biggest thing we do every year is we host a convention over a long weekend in the New River Gorge, which is in West Virginia, and it is one of the best rock climbing destinations in the world. So.
5: Rock climbing. What I know nothing about rock climbing, but it doesn't strike me as something that's safe, (laughs) (laughs) but really thrilling. So, what was the motivation behind it? Was is it also a space that is um, marginalizing? Like, where did the kind of motivation to form uh, homoclimtastic come from?
0: Yeah. So, climbing is. It can be as safe or as unsafe as you want it to be, I would say that, just to begin. So the way that we climb at Homo Climtastic prioritizes safety. Of course, it's an inherently unsafe sport. You can you know, be injured by rock fall, you can take big falls, you can potentially deck, which is when you fall and hit the ground. I've never seen anybody deck at Homo Clim-tastic, and there has never been, knock on wood, any really large incident as far as safety is concerned. So, while rock climbing isn't, isn't always the safest at HC, we try to do it as safely as possible. And we prioritize that. We make everybody wear helmets all the time.
5: Look at that, safety.
0: So, but yeah, climbing is, you know, has historically been a sort of fringe outsider adventure sport. And like most fringe outsider adventure sports in the US in particular, it's drawn a lot of weirdos, but those weirdos have tended to be straight, cisgendered, and mostly white so, climbing is like many other sports in that respect, like mountain biking, like surfing, like skateboarding, etc. You know, base jumping, skydiving, all of those things. Adventure sports tend to be really white, mostly educationally, economically privileged, and very straight and historically really broy spaces. Mm. So, HC began as a way to provide some space for queer and trans climbers that didn't really exist. So we existed, but we would go to gyms and be swarmed by dude bros. Dude bros. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and the organization began 12 years ago. So I think the demographics in the world of climbing have shifted pretty radically mm-hmm. since then. But yeah, definitely when the organization formed, climbing was very, if you saw women, they were usually like attached to their boyfriends. Right.
5: Well, I like, I saw that one of the the taglines was sports are for everyone, period. And I think that that is a yes and aligns a lot of what we talk about here, which is what does sport look beyond the boundary? What does it look like if it's gender inclusive? What does it look like if we care about racism within these institutions? What does it look like if we demand that it loves us back in the way that we love sports? So what does it mean for queer people to be able to come and gather and also just engage in athletics? What does it tell us about the democratizing of sport?
0: That's a really big question. I think one of the things, so, okay, I want to back up a little bit and say that when I first attended HC, I had started climbing only about a year prior. I'd only really done gym climbing and a little bit of outdoor climbing, and I'd never climbed with other queer folks Mm. in any kind of number. And when I first went to the convention in West Virginia, I just got to this campsite and I was surrounded by a bunch of really, really strong and sexy queer people. Mm-hmm. And I was in the middle of West Virginia, which right. is not a place where that, you expect I've, to find I a question about that. <laughs> and we can talk more about that, actually, um, because the community in Fayetteville, West Virginia, where we have the convention is really accepting and radical and awesome. But... Yeah, I went to that convention and I thought, oh, okay, so climbing is the sport that has actually helped me love a body that has undergone pretty significant trauma in relationship to gender and in relationship to sexuality. But yet the spaces in which I typically climbed, they didn't really, they made that embodied love more difficult to access because I also felt really surveilled being a queer and genderqueer person, right? In the space of a climbing gym. So yeah, when I went to... I was like, wow, I don't feel that way. I actually feel like I'm being witnessed and perceived and recognized in ways that make sense while doing this thing that makes me feel like my body is this awesome thing, not just a site of trauma, violation, you know? Yeah. So it really reoriented the way that I think about, about climbing.
5: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Now, it's both climbing during the day, but I saw um, a quote that you gave somewhere out that Talks about all the other kind of community spaces and, and happenings that happen during these big kind of do you call a festival a convention a convention yeah big convention. So you said quote the festival is inclusive, extremely friendly, and very very queer. You will see lesbian moms with adorable babies, trans transgender queer folks, boys and speedos, dykes with dy- dogs, and a lot of affection through encouragement and support. the The festivities following a day full of climbing include drag shows, swimming in minimal t- no clothing, hot tub lube twister yoga dance parties white water rafting and pizza so two questions <laughs> one what the hell is lube twister exactly what it <laughs> sounds like Second of all, this sounds lit it sounds amazing so so how does this look like in in the middle of west virginia what seems to be amazing just moment in space
0: yeah so Okay, so the convention happens at this campground, which is also a whitewater rafting center called Mm. Cantrells. And they have a bunch of tent sites and a big barn that people sleep in, and then some scattered cabins. So we're all at Cantrells in the tiny town of Fayetteville, West Virginia for four to five days. And the town itself, it's like they're they mini pride festivals. So all of the uh, local businesses in the downtown put up pride flags. They offer all sorts of incentives to, you know, HC climbers. So we come yeah. and sort of give them business. And they also all attend our big drag show and dance party mm. that we do on Saturday night. Yeah. So that event is incredible because it's a bunch of, you know, townies from Fayetteville, West Virginia, a lot of the members of the outdoor community in Fayetteville. And then queer and trans folks from all over the state of West Virginia drive in to come party with HC that wow. night. So yes, it's awesome. And lube twister. Hey, you just squirt a bunch of lube on a and twister a board bunch- and see what happens.
5: <laughs> I love it. I love it. So for people who want to get involved in homoclaptastic, um, I'm assuming, well, I'm not assuming I've read cause I do research. Hello. That, you know, you should obviously know what you're doing <laughs> to go on the larger space, you know, I don't even know. I obviously would not be there. I know the word "belay," so that is the extent of my knowledge. But for other people, especially with climbing experience who want to be involved, um, should they check out your website, Facebook? How how can people get involved in HC?
0: Yeah. Okay. So. You, we have a Facebook group page, so if you look up Homoclimtastic, the group for queer rock climbers, that is the Facebook group you should join. I will approve you, I'm sure, <laughs> unless you are a robot, <laughs> and it's obvious that you are a robot. So yeah, join that group. You can follow us on Instagram. We also have a website that will update whenever registration becomes available, which should be any day now. Yeah. So yeah, and if you are a climber, but you're relatively new to outdoor climbing, then we ask that you just find somebody that's a little bit more experienced than you to link up with to mm-hmm. vouch for you. So we have kind of a buddy chaperone system awesome. just to make sure everybody's safe. Yeah,
5: no, I, I mean, I, th- I find this to be so a amazing and lit, but also just powerful. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about how it reshapes a how what we associate with athletics and sports and all that, but also how we think about our bodies and our bodies taking up space. Um. And I just um, it, it actually makes me think of uh, an organization I grew up attending as a spectator, which is this um, really famous historical lesbian softball league in Northampton. Massachusetts. Yes. Um. So my. Parents and my parents' friend played for a team called the Hot Flashes, <laughs> and I grew up on the sidelines of that. But thinking about what it meant in that space to rethink ability, to rethink beauty, and and upend ideas about gender and femininity, and all of these things wrapped together, um, and doing it through sports, and that. I think it's a very useful reminder that as, a, as isolating as some sporting institutions can be, sports itself can also be a space where people can really find and discover not only themselves, but love for um, and empowerment. And that's kind of what I saw when I saw HC. So mm-hmm. it's it's really dope. And I hope that everybody goes and checks it out. I would be remiss to let Hillary leave the show without shouting out their amazing... Mind-blowing, game-changing new book, and so this is a mini scholar spotlight that I'm sneaking into <laughs> the end of this interview. Hill's book just dropped. It's called *Queer Embodiment: Monstrosity, Medical Violence, and Intersex Experience*. It literally came out. It's hot off the presses. It's been like a month and a half since it's been out. But I just want to give you a moment to shout out your book <laughs> and tell people where they can cop it and what to expect in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So not only am I a climber, I'm also an academic, and the book that just came out is available through University of Nebraska Press. You can use order it from the publisher's website and use the code 6AS19 to get, I think, 40% off. So yeah, the book is a critical genealogy of the last 50 or so years of intersex medical treatment Mm. specifically, but I'm intersex, so it's written pretty hypercritically and my training is in philosophy so i think of it as a work really of intersex theory yes. more than anything else
5: well i love it we can wear multiple hats um and and i just i think that but I, you know if folks who know me scholarly know that theory and me have like a love-hate relationship but when i started hill's book i could not stop like it's it is a game changer so i can't recommend enough checking out the book checking out hc i'm so happy to have you on the pod Um, and i would love to continue these conversations about sports on that we might not make it into mainstream discussions but are vital vital spaces um, that we're seeing a lot of really exciting things happening so rock climbing is now on my radar i hope it's on yours if it is please check out Homo Climtastic. again their website is homoclimtastic.com they're on instagram and they have a huge facebook page again that registration is dropping soon for their july convention july 18th through the 21st in west virginia a mini pride in fayetteville west virginia and as you heard it's going to be lit so hill thank you once again for coming on the pod
1: Thank you, Amira. Okay, Shakia, talk to us about baseball, your love, your struggle as a fan, unfair suspensions, White House visits. What has been happening this season that you want to get into today? Wow, so much.
3: (laughs) MLB has been a hotbed for just really ridiculous racism lately. Last month, Chicago White Sox shortstop, Tim Anderson. He hit a home run and he did what people in baseball refer to as pimping it. And he did a bat flip. There was some yelling, some, you know, large displays of passion. Well, in his next at bat, Brad Keller, the pitcher for the Royals, he hit him with a ball. I think it was a fastball going about 90 miles an hour on the bum. And of course, It turned into a big thing. Benches cleared because, you know, the logical sex was out there. There was a lot happening. So then maybe a day or two later, we hear that Keller is suspended for the hit by pitch, of course. And it's a five game suspension. But if you know baseball, you know a pitcher only plays every five games. So it's essentially a one game suspension. (laughs) And Tim Anderson got a one-game suspension as well, and it was for foul language, which, of course, I immediately am like, okay, what the hell? What possibly could he have said to get suspended? Well, it turns out he said the N-word to a white guy. A black guy (laughs) was suspended for saying the N-word to a white guy. I just kind of want that to marinate for a little bit. Like (laughs) I I don't even understand that. (laughs) I understand, like, to a certain degree, you want to have disciplinary action for the use of the word. But there's got to be some kind of nuance, right? Like, for years, groups have sort of taken back, if you will, slurs against their humanity. And this is the same thing. I'm not sure I would really know what to do in this situation if I were, you know, a white person who had to rule on this thing. I probably would kind of not say anything, to be honest. That's not what MLB did. MLB is like, yeah, we're going to wait out into this (laughs) and we're going (laughs) to discipline the black guy, but we're not going to tell you why. We're not going to give any explanation for, you know, the disciplinary action. We're just going to do it. So I feel like an opportunity was missed. There could have been a conversation with the larger public, like, hey, we don't really know what to do here, but here are our thoughts. Or I don't know anything, but essentially what it looks like is Joe Torrey, who is the person who hands down these kinds of suspensions and M O B. It looks like he was just like, all right, this is what I think. Boom. End of story. And I wrote a piece on it and I kind of had to do some digging and I found out that Players don't really have any recourse against these things. You against one guy's opinion, and obviously that one guy is going to uphold his own opinion. I doubt it's going to be a case of someone appealing and him changing his mind.
1: You appealed yes. to Joe Torre? Like if he was going to appeal, yes. it? okay. <laughs> um, Yasio <laughs> okay.
3: Puig of the Reds, formerly of the Dodgers, actually said that in an interview. He was also suspended in April for a completely different reason. But when asked if he was going to appeal, he said, no, why would I go talk to Joe Torre to try to change Joe Torre's mind?
1: I mean. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that 's a weird system it 's not even say. a system
3: right it 's like
1: <laughs> <laughs> that 's true it 's not even that 's a good yes well
3: <laughs> here 's this one guy who gets to make rulings anyway it 's been a mess ever since no one 's sure how to handle it. Everyone has thoughts on it, and my thinking has been in this instance most baseball fans should probably not say anything. Most baseball writers can't say anything. I actually tweeted a really rude tweet (laughs) where I said, if you (laughs) publications employed more black and brown writers, you'd have people who could write about this, but because you (laughs) can't, there goes an opportunity. (laughs) So there were very few things said about it because your hands are kind of tied in this situation unless you're a member of that community.
1: Can I ask you a question? I this obviously is not my wheelhouse, but your baseball prospectus piece about Tim Anderson is so very good. And there was this one part that I thought was particularly interesting that I'd just like to hear more about. You wrote, I'm going to quote you to you now. Baseball's unwritten rules are filled with coded language that are rooted in racism, classism, and harmful views on masculinity. There's a reason why so much of the conversation has been censored around the N word and not the violent act of throwing a 92 mile per hour fastball at a batter. What I have a sense of like what the unwritten rules are, but can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Like how those work in order to sort of put the, the fact that like there's a racist outcome here, like how, how are those things connected?
3: So in baseball, the unwritten rule is that, you know this is basically centered around is you don't show up a pitcher if
1: okay so okay. you're
3: you're not supposed to celebrate a home run you're not supposed to be passionate don't yell don't beat your chest don't flip the bat just silently run the bases and as we know
2: Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Is this a thing? Like you're
3: actually not oh, you're allowed, allowed to celebrate? You're not supposed to. It's kind of it's an unwritten rule. You get
1: hit by a baseball, it's, I guess,
3: if you do it. It's it's the culture of baseball. It's very they believe themselves to be traditional and purist. It's really racist because here's why. If you've ever watched any international baseball, you know they celebrate. They they get loud. You know, bat flips are. Pretty incredible. I've been talking a lot about the ones I've seen in like Korean baseball. These bat flips are amazing. There's, you know, spins and the whole nine yards. And if you watch the World Baseball Classic, even, you'll see that, you know, players are extremely expressive and fans bring, you know, instruments to games and it's an interactive experience. Only in America are you expected to just sit in silence. If you're watching the game or if you're playing it. that's It's like cultural suppression to me because no one is really saying this to anyone who isn't a player of color. Let's just keep it real. Like, that's what it is. Hey, don't have fun. Don't get out there and show a display of passion. And that's why nobody's watching baseball now. I've been watching baseball for years and I will readily admit it's boring. It's boring because of these unwritten rules.
1: That's so fascinating, and so I just thought, like, one of the things your piece did so well is that you kept pointing out that, like, the actual violence that happened on the on the field was this guy throwing a baseball ninety miles per hour into someone's body on no, purpose, it take that to the and like, That's no fault. one yeah no (laughs) one cares about that like that that is not the conversation no one everyone is sort of like agreed that that is fine and then then everyone's wringing their hands about whether or not it's okay for tim anderson to use the n-word after he's literally been hit and obviously as a black man will you tell us a little bit about uh the white house visits um of the red Sox? i just want to mention that the White House put out a press release about the Red Sox and they spelled it S-O-C-K-S. <laughs> <laughs> oh, coming God. to visit. I just got to make sure we point that part out. But what, like it was, again, it was yet another controversial White House visit. Will you tell us? Oh, yeah, what absolutely. Happened?
3: So first I want to start with the Boston Red Sox were the last team to integrate. Keep that in mind. In all things, the Boston Red Sox were the last team to integrate. They passed up Jackie Robinson and a bunch of other very, very amazing black ball players for a long time. So, that said, it's tradition now for a team who wins a championship to visit the White House. And this current president is extremely, extremely controversial, has been since election. I wrote about it for the Harbaugh Times when the Cubs were going to visit, I believe. And it's just been a thing. Do Black and Latino players want to be around this guy? No. So the Red Sox win the World Series. And of course, they get the traditional invite to the White House. And none of the Black and Brown players attended. They didn't want to go one player actually gave the greatest response to saying, no, I've ever heard. And he said, I was invited and I wasn't compelled to go. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> pretty straightforward. <laughs> and I think it's time that we question, You know, is this White House visit really a thing that we need to keep going? What does it say when the team is so decidedly split it's visible. There was a tweet from, I believe, a reporter or radio guy from Boston, where he pointed out that it was just the White socks players going to the White House. And David Price retweeted it and said that, you know, more than 38,000 people should see the tweet. And at first, I took it and so did a lot of people as David Price being like, hey, look, this guy's making a valid point. Well, then later when asked about the tweet, David Price completely walked it back. I have a problem with that. David Price is a black pitcher in Major League Baseball. There are not very many of those. There aren't very many black players in Major League Baseball at all. So for him to have a moment to say something valuable and he just walk it back It kind of hurt me because I was rooting for him. I was that Tyra Banks meme. We were rooting for you. (laughs) We were all rooting for you. I was so upset because in that moment, he could have said a whole lot to a lot of people who would listen to him. He wasn't using his platform. Yeah,
1: He didn't go, right? Yeah, he didn't go. But then had this moment, right? That's so... Interesting. And I, Jamel Hill wrote a piece about this for The Atlantic where she kept wanting, in a very similar way to what we were just talking about with Tim Anderson, and I can't remember who threw the pitch at him, Kel- Keller, that the focus is so intensely on Anderson rather than on Keller's choices. And Jamel Hill. You know, her point of her column was to say, uh, she ends by basically saying, so instead of focusing on why Cora, the manager, and other Red Sox figures won't be at the White House, ask their teammates why they're comfortable being with a president who marginalizes and harms the communities to which their fellow players belong, right? Like that the attention is always on the choices, the black and brown players, and not actually on the white players. Like How is it that you're able to stand next to this incredibly racist, homophobic, xenophobic, misogynistic, like all the words, he's all of them, and celebrate like, who are we actually asking the questions of? And who are we actually scrutinizing? And before I throw it to anyone else, Amira, this is how you know I love you. She <laughs> wanted to make sure as as our Red Sox fan uh, on this podcast that we mention that the black and brown squad that refused to go to the White House is, quote, my team. They make me proud of them. And she said, she said, and if you remember how worried I was as soon as they won back in October about the White House visit, but Mookie and David and Cora and the rest of them just, and then she has the black power or the black power fist, the black fist emoji. So there's Amira's point. Amira's very excited about this. Brenda, you wanted to talk a little bit about Cora and his decision not to go to the white house.
4: Yeah. I just wanted to point out that, you know, this isn't just a impulsive decision on the part of anyone. And Alex Cora you know, has a really long history of activism in Puerto Rico. He's from Caguas. And he's in a long line of Puerto Rican players that, you know, use their platform. And if you remember, like in 2018, he brought the delegation of players in to Puerto Rico in a sort of Similar vein, you can even think about the long tradition of Puerto Rican players like Roberto Clemente, whose plane crashed en route to giving aid to Nicaragua after the earthquake of 1972. And I also think it's important to remember that Cora was the manager of the Puerto Rican national team before the Red Sox. You know, he comes from, from a family that's very civic and and has engaged with all of that. So I thought it was just wonderful to see him use his platform in the way that he did. He said, quote, it, I mean, it's very mild. What he's saying is just to point out the hypocrisy of celebrating in the White House while Puerto Ricans still don't have electricity and haven't been given the aid that, is, that we would send anywhere else in the United States. And he said, quote, the government has done some things back home that are great, but we still have a long ways to go. And so he's pretty he's pretty mild he says quote it's pretty tough to go celebrate when we're at where we're at i'd rather not go and be consistent with everything end of quote so you know he's he's given how trump responded and the kind of viciousness with with which trump responds on social media to these players i just thought it was important to listen to like his words which are actually you know they're important and uh, super important to Puerto Ricans and the rest of us, but they're also not, you know, he's not like down with the White House. Like he's not like, you know, burn it all down. (laughs) It's pretty, pretty mild. Um, And and just by the way, also, you know, Carlos Correa, the other Puerto Rican superstar with the Astros also didn't go um, because of uh, the policies after Hurricane Maria. So I just wanted to sort of, Remind ourselves too that Puerto Ricans are trying to put them their island front and center in in their decisions.
2: Hmm.
1: Thank you, uh, Shireen. You want to get in here?
2: I'm just, I I love listening to Shakia talk baseball. It's probably one of the only times I ever (laughs) consume baseball is when I'm reading her or she's talking about it. And I just, I said when we were discussing this episode that I would just sit here quietly and eat peanuts in solidarity of baseball. Is that a thing, eating peanuts? Is that still a thing? Or like, (laughs) this is a random question. It's a serious question.
3: People do eat peanuts at baseball games, but they're trying to go nut free for the sake of people with peanut allergies. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. So my other thing is, I'm still. I didn't know at all, and I'm so glad I'm learning this and listening about bat flips like I can't get over because like for me it's celebration and jubilation and sport is such a big thing. And as somebody who lives in Toronto and I look really cute in royal blue so I really like the blue Jays and where their stuff, Jose Batista, bat flipping was momentous even for those of us that don't necessarily consume a lot of baseball, it was a big deal. it was actually turned into a political meme because our awful horrible prime minister at the time lost the election soon after. So it was like they literally had an image of Bautista like bat flipping Stephen Harper, which was amazing. So like I just I didn't know that. And I just wonder the history about it. And if you can sort of refer me to some places I can read about it, about the repression of joy in baseball. Is that historically linked to like further marginalizing marginalized or racialized people, players? Like I just don't I don't I can't. It's hard for me to grasp that.
3: Okay, first, I want to say. Baltista's bat flip is the greatest bat flip of all time.
1: Amen. <laughs> you heard it here. Amen. I mean, it is the most
3: disrespectful bat flip. <laughs> That's why I love it so much. But as far as the history, I really couldn't say. And it's funny you ask because it's something I've been looking into. I know that like I said, internationally, it's just a thing. It's just what it is. And I've, I've been um, buying books on Japanese baseball because I'm thinking that it really seems like this is a thing overseas everywhere, but here. And I want to know why, where did it come from? It's fun. I personally think major league baseball should do like the NFL and just embrace the celebrations. Like, Remember NFL tried to take them away, touchdown celebration for a while. They were like, "Ah, eh, we're going to start fining you for them, you know, whatever. And then when they saw how much of a problem it was, it just became, all right, you know what? You can't be too excessive with it. And this past season, it was really fun. That's what baseball needs to do. Embrace the chaos. Let it happen. It's super fun. Can you imagine you hitting a home run? First, let's go here. A baseball player to be an all-star only has to be good at their job 30% of the time. These are wait, 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 really? 30% of the time, right. That's it. That's how hard it is to hit them. It, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So okay. if you only have to be good 30% of the time, think about how difficult it is to hit a home run off a major league pitcher. That's why when those home run races were happening – People were into it. No one cares about the steroids. We it was fun. Like it made people fun again. It's just what it is. So now picture you as a professional baseball player and you hit a home run off a big league pitcher. You want to celebrate. You don't want to quietly run the bases. You want right. to show that you're right. having a good time. You want to be passionate. There's another home run celebration that is like a dagger in the hearts of fans for the last like 20 years and Barry Bonds hit a home run against the Dodgers and I think it was the only scoring play of the game but he tossed the bat and he spun he like pirouetted to first base (laughs) it's amazing
1: why would you not want that in your game Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment. We like to call it the burn pile, where we pile up all the things we've hated this week in sports and set them aflame. Shereen, what have you chosen to burn this week? Well, I initially had
2: written down Jessica Anderson, the nurse and distance runner who was not given the record, but she was given the Guinness book of world record for running a marathon in scrubs. So I'll, you know, form, I'll let that go for now. But What I'm really livid about is something I found out recently. You all know I'm from Pakistan, and I follow cricket, women's cricket, more than men's. But Shahid Afrivi is like a cultural icon. He's the former captain of the Pakistan men's cricket team. He wrote a memoir, which I will not read. But he wrote a memoir, and there's an excerpt from it, because he says, very specifically how he will not allow his daughters to play sports and I know you're like wait what the fuck and like me knowing where he's from which is northern Pakistan which is you know he there's a certain culture there there's a certain quote-unquote tradition there I don't buy any of that my mother's from the north of Pakistan I, I don't buy it I don't accept it I don't appreciate him and then people are like well you can't force him to do something he doesn't want to with his daughters. I'm like, no, I'm not even saying that. I'm like, let his daughters decide. Like, why can't his daughters decide? And the argument is that because he's a public person, that, you know, he needs to protect his daughters. But that's not how society changes. And somebody with this type of influence needs to be able to do it. Now, it became a thing online because Pakistanis are all up on Twitter and all happy to yell at each other about everything. It was also his use of the word feminist, That really irritated me amongst other things. And this is not the first time he's done this. He's done, said like really, really draconian type, ignorant things. Like when he was asked about Pakistan's cricket team, the women's cricket team, he's been like, women definitely have talent in their hand when they make food. Like he says stuff like this. And my cousin said to me last night, because of course we had a family get together and I, you know, got into a fight with a whole bunch of people about it because that's just what's going to happen at my family events. That, you know, he's, it's just... The way it's done, and he just does it for attention. I don't know. There's a lot of other things you can do for attention. I just I don't have time for this. And he says they can they have permission to play all the indoor games they want, but they won't be competing in public sporting activities. Like I don't even I don't even know. All I do know is that I will be making hard fast prayers this Ramadan for his daughters to excel in any outdoor sport possible. So that's what I'm going to do, and I want to burn down Shy the Freedies misogynist, sexist comments that aren't helping advance anything in Pakistani society and really disrespecting the women athletes that hustle, that rise against patriarchy and do everything they can to compete in sports. So,
1: brrrr. Brenda, what is on your burn pile?
4: On my burn pile is um, an unidentified coach of PSG that told Lindsay Horan she was overweight and thus wasn't going to play her, <laughs> so I have to have to give a hat tip to friend of the show Stephanie Yang for this. But yeah, this week Lindsay Horan she plays for the Portland Thorns and is also a U.S. national team player. And I just want to mention a gigantic Messi fan, by the way. Maybe, maybe in fact a rival of mine. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> revealed in it, a it, it, I'm in good company revealed in a recent promo video um, that while at PSG, where she played from 2012 to 2016, even though she had just won the team fitness test, her coach publicly told her in front of the rest of the team that she would not play any games until she lost weight. At her time in PSG, she scored 46 goals in, I think, 52 appearances or something like that. And so it's really shocking and upsetting that this would happen. By the way, she couldn't have been more than a teenager because she's just 24 now. And in the ad, she explains that it made her want to quit soccer altogether. So I want to burn um, coaches, metaphorically, (laughs) that treat sport like a beauty contest in which they're the judges, defying strong evidence that players like in are in fantastic shape. So Burn. Burn.
1: Shakia, what do you want to torch this week? I would like to torch the
3: Richard Sherman and Nick Bosa conversation, if you will. 49ers drafted Ohio State's Nick Bosa, and he's come under fire for some tweets supporting Trump and the whole MAGA thing. And there was talk that Richard Sherman, who is extremely outspoken on most things, would have something to say about this. And when asked what he had to say about it, Richard Sherman actually (laughs) decided not to say anything at all. He basically said, oh, well, as long as he gets to the quarterback, he's fine by me. Like, I guess being a good athlete on the same team as him means you can be controversially racist and homophobic and all of the things that we listed earlier. So I like to burn that. That, I just... I can't. I don't even know why Richard Sherman, again, a misuse of platform, a moment to say something, and he said the wrong thing. So I like to burn that. Burn.
1: All right. So in 2028, Los Angeles is going to host the Summer Olympics. And I know that's a good nine years away, but (laughs) I'm still doing this today. Uh, Already... Already, the Committee of Organizers has had to adjust their budget upwards. It was originally $6.2 billion. They re- have recently said that they're upping it to $6.9 billion, which is an additional $700 million. They say this is an adjustment for inflation and for the fact that they're originally bidding for 2024 and that it will cost more to keep a staff for those additional four years. Okay, sure, but it's a worrying sign, I think, to say the least, especially – you know, given everything we understand about massively underestimated budgets that left countries in major debt after the Summer Olympics. Rio is probably the most obvious, but Tokyo, which even hasn't hosted yet, they are up next in 2020. And the Tokyo organizers, this is so wild to me, they originally said the games would cost $7.3 billion. And now there are estimates that it could skyrocket to $25 billion. And the Japanese taxpayers, they're estimating, are going to pay 80% of that to host next year. So this, I feel like, I mean, this should worry people in California and L.A. Because the city and state legislators have agreed that Los Angeles and California will function as a financial backstop should the games go over budget. Taxpayer dollars will make up the difference if necessary. Uh, David Wharton at the Los Angeles Times pointed out in a recent piece that the organizing committee has almost no control over, quote, another risk factor that host cities face, local politicians who use the games as a reason to launch expensive construction in their districts. So none of we're not even talking about those tax funded initiatives when we talk about these budgeted costs. And I just this is on top of and I feel like I want to mention this since I'm talking about the L.A. Olympics right now. This is on top of these continuing worries about what we call like the increased so-called security apparatus for the police games. We might as well just call it a police state. And in prepping for this, I was rereading a piece that Lindsay wrote at Think Progress back in February, and it's so good. And it's about how federal police and law enforcement agencies take over in cities that host mega sporting events, including ICE, immigration enforcement, and LA in particular, This matters so much. 10% of undocumented immigrants in this country live in L.A. Lindsay pointed out in that article that ICE tweeted after the recent Super Bowl in Atlanta, which was a whole one day, right, Um, that ICE had been on the ground working with authorities there for two years in the buildup to just the Super Bowl. So, like, what does this mean um, for their presence in L.A. as they prep for 2028? So... Oh, man. And that's on top of, like, when we just think about the LAPD and they're not known for their own restraint and they're already pledging to increase that force. I mean, just everything about it is so terrible. If you're interested in the counter movement to L.A. games, check out No Olympics L.A. You can Google them and find them easily. So, once more, and not for the last time, I want to burn the infrastructure of the Olympics and these mega events in general and their bloated budgets and their increased police states. So, burn. 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 After all that burning, it's time to celebrate some remarkable women in sports this week with our badass woman of the week segment. Our honorable mentions first our own professor Brenda Elsie, yay. who is the new development lead. Yay! yay who is the new <laughs> development lead for the Commodore and CONCACAF regions at the Fair Network, which means that she will, quote, design programs, identify issues of discrimination, and provide research and analytical support to further the work of the Fair Network in the Americas. We are, to say the least, so proud of Brenda and are excited to see that she is beginning her takeover of soccer. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations to VFL Wolfsburg-Frauen for winning the Bundesliga. They beat SC Freiburg 1-0 to clinch the title. Cheers to all the participants in the inaugural Amager Ladies Cup in Copenhagen. This was a competition in, yes, underwater rugby. That's the first I've learned of this. Wow. I mean, wow. The winners were Team Amager, while the Phoenix Project from Gothenburg, Sweden, won the Fair Play Trophy. We are excited for all the young women whose teams will be selected later today, Sunday, May 12th, to compete in the NCAA Softball Tournament, which begins on May 17th. Claire Rafferty, the England national and West Ham women's player, hung up her boots on Saturday. Good luck to her. We are excited for the Arsenal ladies who won the Women's Super League. And congratulations to Christina Clemens and Sharika Nelvis, who were part of the first mixed shuttle hurdle relay team at the IAAF World Relays in Yokohama, Japan. They won gold with their USA teammates. Okay, and can I get a drum roll, please? <laughs> our badass women of the week are moms. As we tend to do, we define that broadly here. We mean any athlete or coach or sporting person who is finding a way to be a mom, to mother, and to continue participating in sports, or any mother who helps others enjoy and participate in sports. Congratulations to you, truly, and thank you. Happy Mother's Day from us. Okay, what is good, y'all? Shakia, what's good with you? small children at baseball games. I realize that sounds
3: weird, but I drove to Cleveland last weekend with two of my girlfriends. One is from Seattle, and we went to see the Cleveland team take on Seattle for the weekend. And on our first game on Saturday, there was a little boy He couldn't have been any older than two, who was so excited about baseball. He just kept yelling, baseball, yay, baseball, (laughs) hi, baseball. I mean, it was the most adorable thing ever. And I've been pretty cynical so far this season. And it was the sweetest thing ever. And it just reminded me that, you know, there's that joy in sports that where everything is fun and everything is so delightful and you're just learning it.
1: That is so lovely. Thank you. Brenda, what's good with you? Okay, so so my new job is good. I'm Yay. really excited
4: about it. I'm still sort of figuring it out. Um, the fact that I'm going to see Shereen at NYU this Thursday is really, really good. Good news. Um, however brief it may be, we're doing a thing at NYU that we've got on our Twitter, so we invite everybody there. I'm also going to see Josh Nadel, who I wrote the book Football Era with and haven't seen since we wrote the book together. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So there's a whole history there. And it's finals week, which means it's sad that it's time for my relationship with these students this semester to come to an end, but it's also a healthy closure. <laughs> so- <laughs>
2: <laughs> so those are good things. Oh, I love it. All right, Shereen. Okay. Y'all know I have good stuff so I'm going to give you my good stuff first uh New York City uh this week there's a the New York, NYU Institute of Public Knowledge is having a symposium on women's soccer of which I will be attending to gonna see Brenda first and foremost gonna see Stephanie Yang friend of the show she's been on the show really excited about this so it'll be there please RSVP there's free refreshments so that's always, you know, fun. That's not why I'm going, but I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> the other thing is it's really good. Ramadan's going swimmingly. It's like fast day six, I think. Uh, it's a, a blur. It's it's pretty good. It's the cooler weather is helpful. For those of you that don't know, Ramadan goes back every 10 days. So it's according to lunar calendar so it starts. So there's a little bit, it, the days are a little bit shorter, which is fun. Canada is playing Mexico. Canada's national soccer team is playing Mexico next Saturday, which I will be attending, and I'm very excited about that. My soccer season starts on Tuesday, my outdoor season. I'm very, very excited about that because we got new jerseys and they're kind of exciting. And lastly, my firstborn is 19 years old today. And
1: Oh, happy birthing. uh, Last
2: night we were at a family thing and I would lean over and go, right now, 19 years ago, my cervix was dilating. And he's like, (laughs) <laughs> Can you stop? Like, he doesn't like to hear about that. So I do it. But um, I love him. It was kind of, it's been a wild ride. It's, it's like it's such a wild ride, but I'm, I love him. I'm proud of him. And uh, I'm going to want to enjoy his birthday. He's inviting 20 of his friends over to break the fast with us tonight. So I'm going to mother in the sense of cook and prepare. And then I will remind him forever about that. That's how I do. So
1: that's what's going to happen. That's awesome. I don't know. It was a hard week for me. I had a hard work week. So it's kind of, that's kind of like what's been in the forefront of my mind. But I guess this week I'm looking forward to, I'm actually taking, I did a cookie decorating class with my son yesterday where he, you know, I was there to help, but he mainly did it and it was beautiful. But later this week, I'm actually going back to take an adult cookie decorating class that I will do. And If you know me at all or follow my Instagram, I've been decorating cookies on my own for years, but I just kind of, you know, taught myself how to do that. And recently I've been watching YouTube videos about it to get better, but I'm excited to go to class and actually learn from an expert on it. So that is what is good for me this week. If you've made it this far and are still listening, well, thank you. But also, for this month's Patreon-only segment, we're doing listener mail. So if you have a question you'd like us to answer, you have until the end of the day, Friday, May 17th, this Friday, to send an email either through the contact form on our website, burnitalldownpod.com, or to our email, burnitalldownpod at gmail.com. Please write, I have a question as a subject of the email. Again, if you have a question that you want us to answer on the Patreon-only segment this month, send it to us with the subject line, I have a question, by Friday this week. We most likely won't be able to answer all questions we receive, but we will do our best. So that's it for this week's episode. Thank you to Shakia Taylor for joining us this week. You can find her on Twitter at CurlyFro. Go follow her right now. You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You can also email us from the site to give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this week's show, please rate the show at whichever place you listen to it. The ratings really do help us reach new listeners who need this feminist sports podcast but don't yet know it exists. Also, right now, Picture two people in your life right now, in your mind, that you love to talk sports with. Now do me a favor and share Burn It All Down with them this week. One more thank you to our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burn it all down. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash burn it all down. That's it for Burn It All Down. As Brenda says, burn on, not out. Until next week.